Well, good morning, church. How is everybody this morning? Um, Brother David, I hope I do not let you down. Um, you read over my message. and uh, I am honored and humbled to be up here and uh, a little terrified at the same time. This is a large responsibility. And the fact that Pastor Matt is sitting here watching me, so it adds a little bit of, a little bit of extra weight to what's going on. I just want to plug, uh, tonight we'll begin the American Gospel. We just watched 545 in the Outback. Um, I'm kind of a, um, a little bit of a goober for these kind of videos. It's not really a movie per se. It's more of a documentary. Uh, I have watched it. I highly recommend uh, that you come and watch this. We'll be doing this over about three to four Sunday nights. Um, so we'll watch the video and Matt will, is going to, um, uh, he's going to kind of lead some discussion. And if you can't come every Sunday night, we're going to have an opportunity to watch it in full on a Thursday night. I'm probably going to come back and watch it. It was a phenomenal Phenomenal video, and so I just highly encourage you to watch it. So, if you have a Bible, turn to we're going to be in Matthew 28 and Acts 1. So, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Acts 1. If you are here, a guest with us, thank you for being here. So thankful to have you. If you do not have a Bible, there is one in uh, hopefully in the pew pocket in front of you. Grab that, use that. If you do not even own a Bible, take that with you. We'd love uh, for you to be able to leave this room with God's Word in your hand. So, I'm just going to pray real fast, kind of, uh, kind of calm my nerves a little bit, and then we're going to let, let the Lord uh, teach us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, Lord, to say that I'm undeserving of standing up here would be a monumental understatement. Um, um, but God, I thank you for the opportunity. Um, Lord, I'm hearing all these words of these men that I look up to greatly, Matt Chandler and John Piper and, and others from this video kind of bouncing around in my mind. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be people who would be consumed by you. Um, and God, we would in turn allow our lives to be consumed with the gospel and the carrying of the gospel and your glory to the ends of the earth. So I pray that you teach us through your word this morning, two familiar passages, but I pray we see them fresh. Um, God, I don't do this in my own power. I do this in your strength. And so I pray that these nerves that are of the flesh, you just calm them uh, and let me uh, teach what you have given me to teach this morning. So we love you. We praise you. We glorify King Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so who's your one? This is the series, like Brother David said, that Matt's going to begin and he's going to lead a little bit more into this over the next few weeks. And this is an initiative that has been uh, started by the North American Mission Board. To find one person within your sphere of influence, could be a family member, a co-worker, friend, neighbor, to find one person and invest in that person that you may share the gospel with that person. And so that's kind of the emphasis. You find that one. Who is your one? And then you press forward in it. Well, today what we're going to do is we want to give a little background to why is this idea okay? Why is this idea something that we press forward into? You know, we can all say, yeah, I've got one person I'd pray for and and, you know, I've got an aunt that, that needs to, they, they, they need Jesus. Or I have a coworker that they, you know, I, they, they probably don't know Jesus. I would like them to know him. And we kind of make it casual like that, but we want to see that there's a greater depth to, to this call and why we want to focus on this one. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Matthew 28, a familiar passage to all of us. But Jesus has been resurrected from the grave and he is getting ready to ascend back into heaven and um, actually, the, both, both passages we're reading today is right before his ascension back into heaven. So Jesus speaks 
Starting in verse 18, this is what we know as the Great Commission. He says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So, so you're, if you have an outline with you, you can fill in the blanks. I'll make sure I go through all these because I know some of you will leave. And if you have a blank empty, you will freak out and chase me down in the parking lot. So I want to make sure that everybody gets these. So discipleship and missions are mandated by God to all believers. Discipleship and missions are mandated to God by all believers. Great transition. Thank you, American Gospel uh, trailer for that. At the very end, you heard the gentleman say, pastors do ministry locally, missionaries do ministry globally, and then everybody else just comes to church. And we're going we're gonna to see that that is not the case at all. So you can see Jesus begins this passage. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, is what he says. Absolute sovereign authority. Lordship over all things is handed to Christ. He has it all. He has every, every bit of it. This verse is clear proof of his deity. So this isn't just some random guy coming up and speaking to the disciples. This is Jesus, the King of all, the Son of God. He has been given all authority. God, God the Father has exalted him above all things. So on the basis of his authority, he commissions everybody. Now you notice he's speaking to a specific group of people when he speaks here, but he is speaking to us. He commissions all of us. So us investing in that one person... If you, whoever you, it is. Now listen, before we go forward, let's, let me just stop right here. Some of you may be thinking, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a one right this instant. That's, that's okay, don't freak out about that. Take some time and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Lord, who is it that you want me to invest in? Is it that coworker? Is it a family member? So don't freak out if you can't think of that one person immediately. But So investing in that one person, it's not something extra. It's not on top of the Christian life. Well, I may... Oh, oh, he must be a super Christian because he goes and evangelizes people. He must be a super Christian because he goes to the nations. No, this is something that we do in our Christian life. It's not extra. And it's not, like I said, not something reserved for super Christians, but a natural response to what Jesus has done for us. Finding a one person or the nations and taking the gospel to them isn't something that we do to try to appease God. It's natural response to what God has done for us. And a natural response in light of when we see people, we know what consequence awaits them apart from Christ. So it's a natural response to take the gospel to the nations. And so that's what, that's what we do. We understand the sinful, native, sinful nature of man. Okay, Church, you notice I put underneath that first point, Jesus' bride is not plan B. So the church is not some sort of secondary plan that God had in mind. Oh, if I can't get things taken care of on my own, I'll send this extra group of people and they'll take care of things. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't have the ability to go out and share. Well, Jamie, isn't that your job anyways? Or you may say that about Matt or anybody else that's on the staff of a church. But let's break this down real quickly. Jesus is commissioning all of us, not just those that he's speaking to right here. And not just those who stand behind a pulpit. We see in Acts 8, chapter 8, verses 1, and 1 through 4, that the church is uh, under immense persecution. Immense persecution, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And so they, they go. They're, they're, they are scattered because people are coming after them to kill them. So as they go, they carry the gospel with them. 
They didn't hide the gospel away and be like, oh man, we're followers of the way, they're trying to kill us, we're going to go away and shut our mouths. No, they carried the gospel with them as they went. And so we do the same. We carry the gospel with us as we go. And listen, you don't just carry it in specific situations like, okay, I'm going on a mission trip, so I'm going to carry the gospel with me. Um, we're, our students, um, next June we're going to go to New Orleans. We, we've begun a mission track uh, called Acts 1-8 Initiative. We're going, we're going to try to take the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. And so we're going to New Orleans. But we're not going to wait to go to New Orleans before we share the gospel with somebody. Or if, or if Lord willing, I'm, I'm praying right now about whether the Lord is going to let me go back to, to Kenya this summer. It's not just there. okay? So you don't carry the gospel just on mission trips. You don't just carry the gospel in times of persecution. And granted, I would be willing to say that 99% of us in this room have never suffered persecution like the first century church was under. You know, sometimes I wonder maybe if that's a bad thing, if we need to suffer some of that persecution. But we don't just carry it then. We carry it in our everyday lives. So if you have a job as a garbage man, you do that job to the best of your ability and you carry the gospel with you. If you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, whatever, we do that job with, to the best of our ability and we carry the gospel with us. The church isn't a plan B for what God has in mind. This is a, a gentleman by the name of Mark Deaver. He wrote a book called Understanding the Great Commission. And this is a quote from that book. It says, the Great Commission is normally fulfilled through planting and growing local churches. So the Great Commission involves you, involves me, the individual Christian, but the Great Commission also involves you through your local church. That is the normal way God means for us to go. Make disciples, baptize, and teach. As the body of Christ, we're all in this. Every one of us, we're all in this. And we're all in this together. I'm a, by uh, the kindness of God and the... Uh, the many years of observation by my home church in Gadsden, Alabama, they chose to ordain me into the gospel ministry. I'm, I'm ordained as a gospel minister, but guess what? We're all called, every one of us. Well, I'm not called to be a pastor. No, no, I'm not talking about called to be a pastor. I'm, call, I'm talking about being called as a follower of Jesus Christ to do what he says. That's, that's what we're talking about. So who's your one is not like this thing, well, I've, I've, I've got to do this because my church is doing it. No, we do it because that's call of God on our lives. So secondly, we, we go, all of us are engaged in going. Secondly, we teach them to observe the commands of Christ. We go and we teach them to observe the commands of Christ. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he was a follower of Jesus that was, uh, he was murdered in Germany, killed in Germany after it was discovered that he was plotting to um, uh, to kill Hitler as part of, part of it, but he was a follower of Jesus Christ and he would not renounce his faith. And he says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living in incarnate. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Jesus, when he is speaking here, when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching to observe all the things. When he is saying this, he's not sending us out to proclaim the gospel that people may be saved and that it ends there. This isn't evangelism that calls for conversion of the unbeliever and then that's it. This is talking about coming alongside people and living life with them and then walking through life with them so that they can, in turn, do the same thing as you. Here's, here's the idea. The idea of who's your one, 
that we're going to be looking into. It moves in, in this vein right here. First, you identify that, who that one person is and invest in your life. And, and granted, I, we, we're really emphasizing this, this who's your one idea. But the truth is, this can be anybody or a multitude of people. Okay? We want to engage multitudes of people with the gospel, not just one singular person. But it is identifying that one, investing in their lives. Okay? Investing in their lives. A lot of us, we don't want to get our hands dirty. Oh, man, I don't, want to, I don't want to know what they're going through. It's none of my business what their marriage is going through. No, you invest in their lives, especially if they're a non-believer. You engage with them. Okay, that's um, it, it's something known as relational evangelism. Okay, I'm a huge fan of relational evangelism there, and we could get on to the different kinds of evangelism. I believe in, quote-unquote, cold-call evangelism when it's necessary. But relational evangelism. If So if you meet somebody at work and they find out that you care for them genuinely, they're going to be much more open and receptive to you sharing the gospel with them. And so you come alongside, you invest in their lives, you find out who their kids are, you find out um, their activities. I, I know you're, you're thinking, man, that sounds like a minister. That's something a minister does. Well, guess what? We're all ministers, so welcome to the club. Uh, so you invest in their lives to the point that you see them come to Christ. That's the goal. You want to invest in their lives to see them come to Christ. But it doesn't end there like, like we were saying here. D Jesus doesn't say, all right, invest in their lives and, and that's it. And then you move on to what we were talking about, our point here, teach and train them to observe the commands of Christ. So you teach and you train them to observe those commands as Jesus did. And then you send them out to do the same thing. So it's a long-term process. We don't want to, I don't want anybody to freak out and think, oh my goodness, that sounds like six months to a year type process. Absolutely. Sometimes it takes a long time. We, the making disciples takes on the multiplication principle, not addition. And I know some of you are like, I don't like math. Please don't talk about this. We're not going to talk about that. There's a, there's a sheet of paper at uh, Central Station on the bulletin board, and there's one outside my office on the bulletin board. If you want to look at it, it's the multiplication principle. And it just shows what happens if one person makes a disciple once a year and how that multiplies. So you get one person who leads one person to Christ. That's two people. Well, then you get that person who leads a person, and then you got four and then you see how it multiplies out. Instead of just taking one person one year and then one person the next year. So it's a multiplication principle. And we're teaching them to observe and obey the commands that Jesus has led us to. What does that look like? Thinking, what are you talking about? Oh, observe and, and be a disciple. What does that mean? So here's some scripture. Disciples, number one, they follow Jesus. Mark 8, 34 through 35. I'm going to move through these pretty fast. So if you're like, I want, I want to take those down, you can come and see me. Afterwards, disciples imitate and replicate Jesus in a few ways. They replicate him in his love, John 13, 34. They replicate him in his mission, Matthew 4, 19. They replicate him in his humility, Philippians 2, 5. They replicate him in his service, John 13, 14. They replicate him in his suffering, 1 Peter 2, 21. And they replicate him and his obedience to the Father, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. So that's just normal. That's what disciples do. They, they follow Jesus and they imitate and replicate him. But they also help others follow Jesus, Romans 15, 14. Disciples intentionally build relationships. And then disciples depend upon the grace of God, John 15, 5. So there's a lot to that, but it's, don't be overwhelmed. You're thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds, this sounds beyond what I, can, what I can do. But here's the truth. We're in this continual state through teaching that we're becoming more like Christ, and in turn, those that we're discipling are becoming more like Christ. So it's this ongoing thing. And you're, I know, so I know what you're thinking. First of all, the first point, you're like, Jamie, I'm not a pastor. 
I'm not, I've not been called to take the gospel to the nations. Okay, we made that clear. All of us are called. We may not all be called to vocational ministry or some type of ministry, but we're all called to take the gospel to the nations. Or find that one. Secondly, you're thinking, I'm not a teacher. Um, I was a teacher, like literally a teacher. Those of you who don't know, my undergrad is in elementary education. Um, I taught school for one year, realized that that was not the thing I needed to be doing with the rest of my life. Um, but, but hey, you'll do crazy things when you do not know Jesus, and I didn't know Jesus at the time. So you're thinking, I'm not a teacher. Okay, well, that's, that's not where, don't think of it in that way. I'm not a teacher. I've never been to seminary. Don't think of it as teaching, per se, but rather as living out the life of obedience to Christ and then leading others to do the same. Just living out obedience to Christ and then teaching and leading others to do the same thing. That's, I, I know, that, look, that's hard. I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I'm a pastor, that's hard, because sometimes we stumble in this. God, I, I did not do what you said today. I was not very loving today. Okay, that's the great thing about the grace of God, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But don't think of it that way. You're, just, you're living out this life of obedience to Christ, and you're teaching others to follow in the same way. So you're thinking, I'm not called, I'm not a teacher, but, but here's the truth. All of us, point number three, all of us, we have the power to accomplish we have the power to accomplish this calling. And if you have Acts, Mark, Acts 1-8 marked in your Bible, you can flip over there with me. This is one of my best friends in ministry. This is his favorite passage of Scripture, and I've grown to fall in love with it over time. He calls it a great passage of mobility. I know it, but I'm going to read it in here just so I don't make any mistakes. So Acts 1-8 says this. Now, this is Jesus speaking again. So these are... These are heavy words. He's getting ready to, and this is the last thing he says before he ascends back into heaven. Jesus speaking to those gathered. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we've laid the foundation of what is commanded of us by God. We've seen that. We've seen that we are all engaged in discipleship and missions. It's mandated by all of us. We've seen in the great, I mean, we call it the Great Commission. We hold this passage up very highly. I mean, in the, in the, within the church, we hold this passage very highly. Oh, it's the Great Commission. God calls us to go. You know, and that's usually where it ends. When I was, when I was coming up in church, that's where it always ended. It's like, well, Jesus tells us to go. And he didn't, you know, there, there's, you know there's actually more after that. You know, there's not a period right there. Uh, so Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, teach them, them all things. We've seen that that's mandated by God. We've, we've seen that we're to teach them, teach them the commands of Christ. But we have the power to accomplish this. You have the power to do this. Again, Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're thinking, what, what do you mean? So the original word in the Greek here for power is the word dunamis. This one Greek word needs seven English words to explain what this one Greek word means. This power is spoken of in English as these words, force, miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning, strength, and violence. This word is a big deal. So when Jesus says to those followers and to us that you will receive power, this is what he's talking about. So he's not just talking about some casual power. He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Okay, now remember, Jesus spoke multiple times. He said, I've got to go away. You want me to go away that way that you can receive the helper. I mean, you're thinking, if, if I was in their place, I'd be thinking, no, no please don't go away, because you're Jesus, 
and we know that you're the Messiah. We know that you're the Son of God. Could you stay with us? Because I'd like to see you, and you know, I can, you know, we can hug and, and we'll sit down and eat fish. And you know, I, I would want him there. But he's like, I must go away that you receive power. And so this is a big deal. So let's break these things down. Strength. The Holy Spirit that lives in you will give you the strength to accomplish the call. The Holy Spirit that lives within you will give you the strength to accomplish the call. I don't have the strength to do it, Jamie. I can't tell anybody about Jesus. You can because the Holy Spirit will give you the strength you need to accomplish the call. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability. He'll give you the ability to do what you think you cannot do. Case in point, you're looking at him. The Holy Spirit will give you the ability to do what you are unable to do. The Holy Spirit will give you miraculous power. Um, I want to share the story real fast. Uh, Rick Dearman, this guy I was talking about who loves this passage of Scripture, he's speaking at winter camp for our students. But he went to Costa Rica one time and took a group of our college students from our home church. Um, and so they decided, you know, it's college students, they don't have a lot of money, so they decided to just take up some money and buy some groceries for the people in Costa Rica. So all the college students gathered up some money and, and they had a certain amount, could feed like 20 families or something. So he divided the money up to everybody. They went in this little local grocery store and started buying groceries. And they're buying groceries and buying groceries and buying groceries. And finally, one of the students says, Rick, we, we can't buy any more groceries. And he said, well, what are, what are, are we out of money? And they said, no, we don't have any more room on the bus. We can't fit any more groceries on the bus. We bought all the groceries that will fit on the bus. And he said, okay, we still have all this money, this wad of money. So he went in the grocery store. Rick went in the grocery store and paid for everybody's groceries that were left in the grocery store. Still have all this money. Okay, then the guy that was, that was interpreting for them, apparently his wife had been suffering from some sickness, had never been to the doctor. So they paid for her to go to the doctor. Another guy said, we've never had a refrigerator in our house. So they took this money and went and bought a refrigerator for these people. The money never ran out. I mean, the money kept going. One of our best, Lauren and I, one of our best friends, um, good, good people, she has a receipt. She kept it that shows just this miraculous move of God. And finally, they just had to go give all the money away. They just, you know, they just distributed all the money out because God, God by miraculous power, he was able to extend this small amount of money that these college students gave to accomplish this big vision. So let me tell you, if you, that's why the Bible talks about a mustard seed of faith. Look, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the miraculous power you need to accomplish the mission of God. He's going to give you the force. The force of God will accomplish his mission. You think, well, that's not, it's not going to happen. The force of God will accomplish his mission. It will. The force of God will. Violence. And that, that, that seems like a little bit of a strange word. Matthew eleven twelve says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And I know that we, because we, we, we get that, we're thinking, are we hurting somebody? No, it's just this press forward at all costs. The, the gospel's going to go. He's going to give you that type of strength. This means, all, what all this means is that for 2,000 years, anything that has tried to stop the gospel, anything, has been defeated. Anything. So understand this. Your lack of understanding of the Levitical law. Okay, listen, if you're sitting here and go, I don't really understand the Levitical law, that's okay. That's okay. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the power to accomplish what you need to. You're thinking, I'm extremely socially awkward. That, that's okay. The Holy Spirit will overcome that to accomplish the goal. 
all of this, I, I, don't, I, I don't like speaking to somebody, Jamie. I, 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 I get so anxious. Some of you are thinking, there's no way I can stand up where you're standing. I would completely freak out. That's okay. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to accomplish all those things. Church, listen, we are mandated by God to go into all the nations and make disciples. And you're thinking, well, I can't go to the nations. Well, let's go back to Acts 1-8. In Jerusalem, which is here, our local area, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it starts here and moves out. We are mandated by God to go to the nations to make disciples. Is it always easy? No, it is not always easy. Um, just talk to Pastor Matt. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. It's not easy to get to, listen, it is not easy to get to Africa. I wish there was an easier way. It's not easy to get there. You're either going to fly. Um, the last time, so Matt flew to um, uh, Amsterdam. Is that correct? Brussels. So Matt flew to Brussels and then on into Africa. The last time I went, I flew to uh, Qatar and then back to the west into Africa. It's not easy. It's not easy to get there. It's not always comfortable. Being on an airplane for 16 and a half hours is not comfortable. Or riding in a car for four and a half hours to get from the airport to where you're serving. It's not always comfortable. Or heck, um, those of you who went to uh, Maryland this year, you know it wasn't very comfortable coming back because that air wasn't working very good in that bus. So you know it's not always comfortable. Is it always safe? No, it's not always safe. And you may think, well, you're talking about, you're talking about taking the gospel to the nations. That's not always safe. No. I'm talking about taking the gospel to your neighbors. Sometimes that's not always safe. The gospel is not, listen, not only is it not safe to carry the gospel, the gospel is not safe. The gospel is not safe. If you, any of you are C.S. Lewis fans, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, one of the greatest lines ever in literature, the beaver comes up and I think Susan, the youngest one's talking to the beaver. Oh, Aslan, I'm so excited to meet him. Isn't he safe? He's safe, right? And the beaver, it's like, what are you talking about? Of course he isn't safe. He's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So no, it's not safe. The gospel is not safe. Taking the gospel to the nations is not safe, but it is mandated by God that we go. So we're, we have a mandate to go. We have a mandate to teach. You can accomplish this. God, by his power, is going to give you the strength to accomplish it. So let's switch this from a mandate point of view. Let me, and again, let me just give a kind of a, what I'm doing here is just introducing the, the, the title of my message, as you can see on your thing, is the foundations of a calling. So we're just kind of laying the foundational elements of why we're doing this, why this Who's Your One series is going to be pressed forward. But let's turn this in a little bit more away from God's calling to look at our own lives. Lastly, what does your life confess? What does your life confess? Now, that may, may seem like a weird statement, but what does your life confess? So we've seen the command of God to go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them the commands that Jesus laid out for us. Now we want to look internally. What does your life confess? If you go back to Acts 1-8 again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, the original Greek word, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, you're, why are you giving us all this Greek this morning? The original Greek word for witness is the word martus which is where we get the word martyr. That's where we get the word martyr. So in this specific instance, when Jesus is speaking here, he's using this term in light of uh, like a legal situation, like a courtroom. And what he's saying is that you're going to be a witness for him. We're, so we're going to stand trial, if you will, for him. In the way that we live, in the way that we live our lives, 
And we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit this morning too, about the stuff you watch on TV, things that you're doing. And the way that you live your life, you're going to give an account for what you believe about Jesus. In the way that you die, you're going to testify about what you believe about Jesus. The way that you live and the way that you die, you're going to testify about what you believe about God to the world. And we may not be faced with a life or death decision about our faith in Christ. Now, that, that's true. And I, I pray that none of us in there have, have to face that. And I, I know maybe that um, I want to be really careful not to soft pedal um, what following Jesus is. But I pray that none of us have to face a life and death choice about, um, about the gospel. But if we do, and even if we don't, every day we are making choices that point to what we believe about God. You may not even speak with your mouth and you're speaking really loud to somebody about what you believe about God. Here's some people that you may recognize and we'll see what they believe about God. The Apostle Matthew, he was killed by a sword wound. The Apostle Mark was dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. The Apostle Luke was hanged in Greece. Uh, the Apostle John, he was boiled in a huge basin of oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos. He wrote the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. He was later freed. He died as an old man, the only apostle to die peacefully. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross, and according to church tradition, it's because he told the tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his king. James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was thrown over 100 feet down from the southeast pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. When they discovered that he survived the fall, he was then beaten to death. Okay, now this is the same brother that openly denied the deity of Jesus. Historically, I've heard him described as old camel knees because apparently when he met, find out who his brother was, he spent all the rest of his life on his knees praying to him. James, Apostle James, son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him into a lifetime of ministry. As a strong leader of the church, James was ultimately beheaded at Jerusalem. And the Roman officer who guarded him was amazed that James was defending his faith. And so he walked beside him up to the chopping block and lost his head as well because he came to faith in Christ. Bartholomew, known as Nathaniel, he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. And it says, after being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led towards the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he expired. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Jude, the brother of Jesus, was killed with arrows when he refused to not deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death at uh, Barnabas was stoned to death. Don't forget Stephen, the original martyr, was stoned to death. And lastly, Paul was tortured, then beheaded by the evil Emperor Nero at Rome in AD 67. Church, in the way that you live and in the way that you die, you will give an account for what you believe about God. You're thinking, I'm not I'm never going to be like that. Well, maybe we will. I don't know if you saw on the video as, as uh, Joel Olstein is speaking there, you see a line of 11 men in these orange jumpsuits 
out on the beach, well, those were 11 followers of Jesus who bent down on the sands of that beach and then lost their head for faith in Christ. Because they were unwilling, even at the cost of their own life, they were unwilling to deny their faith in Jesus. So let me close with this story. I know that's, wow, that's so heavy, Jamie. Why are you doing that? Two guys, Johann Leonard Dobert and David Nitschmong. And you probably don't know who either one of those gentlemen are, but those two guys were Moravian missionaries. So legend have it, has it is they're, they're young men. They're serving probably in the family business. They're going to, I'm sure they're attending a church, whatever, you know, whatever that looked like in that time period, and found out that there was an island in, uh, in, we've been in West Indies and in Aruba down in that area, found out there was an island completely full of slaves these people were lost without the gospel. So they said, we're going to go on the, we're going to take a mission trip, if you will, and go to this island and share the gospel with these men and these women, these, these slaves. Well, the, the, the slave owner, the slave trader found out that that was the case and said, we're not going to let you bring that message here. You can't come. And so what they did is they said, okay, if that's the way you're going to be, we're going to sell ourselves to you. And that's, according to the story, that's what happened. They sold their selves to this, to this slave trader. With their paid, paid out of their own pocket money to this slave trader so that he would take them with him to, tear, to take the gospel to these people. And the story concludes that they're on the boat docks, the ship is sailing away, and they grab arms, link arms with each other, and hold themselves out over the boat and scream out to their family and friends, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. It doesn't matter what it costs us, we'll go to our death if it may be. We'll go to our death if it may be. David, if you want to come up, let me just close with this. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about, yeah, Jesus. He's that, um, he was that guy, Jim Caviezel, right? That's Jesus. No, I'm talking, do you know Christ? Has he reconciled your heart to him? The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just as we heard again on the video, I'm kind of stealing some thunder there, talking about the wrath of God, the just punishment of God that belonged to us was poured out on Jesus. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The just wrath of God, not unjust, but the just and deserved wrath of God which should fall on me Okay, if anybody deserves hell, it would be me. But Jesus took that punishment for me. If, if you have not surrendered your life to Christ in light of that, come talk to me this morning. Come talk to Matt. Come talk to one of us. Don't leave this building without knowing for sure. And if you are a follower of Christ, let me, let me just ask you, who is your one? Again, don't freak out if you're like, well, I don't know who it is right now. Who is your one? And once you find out who that one is, are you willing? Are you willing at all cost to get the gospel to them and to the ends of the earth? Are you willing at all costs to get the gospel to them and to the ends of the earth? Church, let's, let's pray.
Lord, this all comes out, um, despite what I may say, this all, this all comes out fairly easily. You can say it with your mouth, super, oh, absolutely, God. I, I want to take the gospel to the nations, and I want to see men and women come to know you. But God, are, are we willing? Am, am I willing, as a follower of Jesus Christ, am I willing to put everything aside for the glory of your name? And God, we can, we can extend this even beyond. We're, we're, we're focusing very specifically on missions and on discipleship this morning. And God, thank you, Jesus, for, for Brother Matt and his leading and that we're pressing that direction here in our church to be a church that builds disciples. And I know we're focusing on that, God, but it could just be, am I willing at all costs to put away the gossip? Lord, to put away, um, maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's lust. You know, I, I just like to scroll through Facebook and look for beach pictures. Whatever it is, God, are we willing at all costs to put that stuff away for the glory of your name? You know, God, because I, I confess on this platform this morning that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm begging you to forgive me when that is not always the case. Help us to identify our one, King Jesus. Whether that be a student, a family member, a co-worker, a friend, or maybe it just be a neighbor that we don't know and we just feel, we just feel led to begin to invest in, in our literal neighbor that they may know the gospel and know you. You gotta go before us. God, go with us from this room. God, let us not leave this place and drop your word at the door. God, but let it take root and change us. Lord, we love you. Be glorified. We pray these things in your name. Amen.